Welcome back to The Melancholy Condition. I am your host, Darius Velasquez, and you're listening to Season 3. Enjoy. Here's an ad. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. How do I record an episode? How do I get my show into all the apps that people like to listen? How do I make money from podcasts? The answer to every single one of these questions is pretty simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. And best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. And that means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. The reason why I love Anchor is just because it's easy. It's simple. It's on my phone. I don't use any exterior hardware. I don't got to do anything really, but just pick up my phone, open the Anchor app, press record, invite my guests, and boom, you have the melancholy condition. So if you want to start your podcast, do so today. Go to anchor.fm. And we are live. Welcome back to another episode of The Melancholy Condition. I am here with Stacy Brookman. Stacy, go ahead and introduce yourself. Well, hello, Darius. I am so excited to be here. And yes, I am a resilience and life storytelling expert. And I produce the Real Life Resilience Podcast and the Emotional Abuse Recovery and Resilience Summit. So what I essentially do is I help smart outwardly confident people who secretly have low self-esteem issues due to an emotionally abusive partner. And I help them take back control and begin to develop the resilience they need to be themselves again. That's what everybody really wants to do is be authentically them. And I do that by helping them write through and about their tough life stories. Interesting. Interesting. What made you get into this field? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> well, I was, um, I was married to a sociopath for 10 years. I did not know he was a sociopath. I thought it was a tough relationship. And I grew up thinking, you know, with the, the thing is, you don't get divorced, you hang in there, you know, you do everything you can do. I did everything. And I didn't realize that with sociopaths, there's nothing you can do to make it better. And Ultimately, I discovered, well, I discovered him advertising himself on Craigslist. And I'm like, this is it. I'm done. I'm done. No. And yeah, yeah. So um, I, I, what happened was I was, I, I had two little girls. We had two little girls. And I thought, those girls are watching this relationship. They're watching me and their dad together and thinking that's normal. And they're at risk just by observing our relationship. They were at risk of growing up to be in the exact same relationship. And that broke my heart. It really did. I couldn't stand the thought of them growing up and being in an emotionally abusive relationship. So I, I said, that's it. I'm done. And then really the horror started. Um, <clears throat> it got worse from there. But I, and in the middle of all of that chaos, I mean, divorce is horrible anyway. And, but divorce with a sociopath is really bad. And some of your, some of your listeners might really kind of resonate with that, or they're like, man, that was a really tough time. And so in the middle of that, my mom had actually sent me, I was an adult, but my mom sent me, you know, and my dad sent me money 
for my birthday. And Mm -hmm. I thought, you know what, I am going to spend this on myself. Because when you're in chaos, you you get brain fog. I mean, you know, you just like nothing like the colors leave the world. Um, Mm -hmm. You you can't hardly make decisions. You can't remember what you're doing from minute to minute. And you're just in this um, stress induced brain fog. But I thought, I, I just want to do this for myself. And, you know, I was trying to go through, you know, court and trying to, you know, take care of my kids and trying to rescue my kids and things like that. And so finally, um, I went to a, a place called Writers and Books in Rochester, New York. Love, mm-hmm. love, love that place. And they had a memoir class. And there was an amazing woman who taught that memoir class. And Anna Ace. And she... Um, taught this class where we would bring our stories every Friday and, you know, bring our crazy stories. And she taught us how to write our crazy stories out and we would bring them and read them aloud. And most times I would just break down crying because like, this is the crazy things that happened to me. Like my wires were cut on my heater and services. Yeah, exactly. And so, but through that, I realized, wait a minute, I am getting, a lot calmer. I am that I'm cutting through that brain fog. Nothing else has changed mm-hmm. on the outside world. These people, when I brought my stories, they couldn't fix my problems, but they held my stories in their hands without judgment. And the fact is I started like, you know, once I realized, wow, this was, I'm, I'm calmer. I can see clearly the steps I need to move forward, but even more, I dug into and understood how in the world me, a professional woman, had, had gotten into an abusive relationship. I mean, why, yeah. why how, how in the world did that happen? And so when you, I, I realized, I started studying, like, what, what's going on here with this writing? And there's a lot of research behind it, a lot of uh, uh, research around health of writing. You know, it actually boosts your immune system. And it increases your, you know, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the cells, white blood cells or whatever. I don't know what they are. But anyway, it it boosts that and um, it boosts you psychologically, physically, emotionally, mentally. Because what happens is when you find the words for what's happened to you, and that's what a lot of um, you, you get them and you put them down in black and white, you start to see much clearly. Uh, more clearly. And I always say, what we always do as human beings is pull the wool over our own eyes. And we do that all the time. And so what writing does is it takes that wool away and you can see, okay, in black and white, here's what's happened. Here's what I've accepted to happen. And yet here's how I can change it as well. And so writing really is, it's called the two minute miracle because all you need to do is start writing for two minutes and, and it really, really helps. So that's a long answer. Sorry. (laughs) No, no, you're fine. You're fine. I I prefer a long answer than a short one. I'm passionate Um, about this for sure. (laughs) Well, good, good. So uh, do you think that, you know, with your, um, at least this is just my perception based on if you know whenever you're going through a traumatic experience such as um, an emotional relationship right and you're getting out Mm -hmm. of it a lot of the times 
and because my mom was in a very very a lot of her relationships actually a lot of her marriages um were very very emotionally abusive abusive um especially with uh my little brother's dad um i don't know too much about the you know what the relationship was like um through my like my dad with my mom just because i wasn't old enough to really see anything i know what people say you know what i mean but i right to me that's a grain of salt but as far as the experience that i was i witnessed through you know 14 years with my um little brother's dad and then her following marriages after that uh they were very very um, emotionally abusive and kind of where i'm heading with this is i noticed with in my own mom that a lot of the times you kind of get that you know love blind shield um you do with you know what i mean you kind of like you get blinders over your eyes there's a lot of things that if i were to make a list of characteristics that some of these men may have had and you would probably look at those characteristics and be like okay i wouldn't allow myself to put up with any of that and you know a lot of the people through marriage i think forget like at least like i said this is just still my perception you start out with somebody and over time they may have tendencies that weren't shown at the beginning and because the relationship progresses over time these other tendencies or characteristics may not be as severe as what they should be you know what i mean they're not perceived to you as dangerous as they could be as what they can lead on to oh absolutely Um, absolutely in fact what that's called is love bombing. And it's a, it's a technique that these, these people use. They at first are your ideal partner. They love the food you love. They, they go to the movies that you really like. They, they ask you questions about yourself. They make you feel good about like them really in love with you. Like you're the most special person on the planet and you get sucked in. And so mm-hmm. by the time you are, you are um, connected with them, you're married, or you're in a, a long-term relationship, or you're pregnant, like I was, you're um, that sort of thing, you're, you're, you're kind of stuck, and then they, they, they're able to turn, and so then, from then on, it's a, it's a back and forth, it's like, oh, you're the best thing, and then they, they do their emotional abuse, and then when you're about ready to leave, or about ready, you know, you can't handle it anymore, then they're like, oh, but I love you. I love you. Why don't you just want to be with me? And then, and, and so it's a cycle of abuse and most of us don't recognize it. And you know what? Professional people, smart, intelligent people get sucked in by this. In fact, that's who they target. They target mm-hmm. people who um, have empathy for others. And in fact, that's one of the red flags. Number, number one red flag we already talked about is being the ideal person for you. If someone is ideal and loves everything and you're and and speeds the relationship up quickly, like going quickly to sex, going quickly to, you know, moving in, going quickly to um, anything that solidifies that relationship, that is a huge red flag. The second red flag is getting you to feel sorry for them. So mm. could be a bad childhood. It could be a Oh, poor me. My boss doesn't like me. Um, uh, anything to get you to feel sorry for that person. And it's, 
it's easy for us people who have a lot of empathy because we want to fix things. We want to help. We want to be that person with that rescuer. Right. Yeah. And, of course. and it bonds us emotionally to them. So then when they turn or when things go south, then uh, we just want to hang in there, keep fixing it, keep trying to fix it. And it just doesn't work with a sociopath or a narcissist. It just doesn't work. I have um, something to add on to that. Um, but mm-hmm. before we kind of dive in too deep into that, I want to kind of follow back with my theory with why this writing helps. Mm-hmm. Um, so with what I have said about, you know, the emotional blindness, um, you know, dealing with these things and kind of blinding yourself to the things that you up front, if you knew about these things, you wouldn't put yourself in that position, right? Oh, for sure. So I I think what, excuse me, um, uh, I think the if you want to get down into the physical you know helping the physical body heal through these writing practices i think what it is based off of what you told me um i think maybe that there is an underlying stress there and once you write out these issues that you're able to now see, like you said, in black and white, mm-hmm. what these things are, right? And a lot of the times, if you can't see something, if you can't have something easily explained to you, if you can't have something demonstrated as to why certain things are happening, you'll be confused about it. So once these, you know, details or characteristics, whatever it is, is written down, now you're able to see clearly, like, okay, these are the main problems. So then at that point, you're able to within yourself build reason as to why these things are happening or find solution to what can prevent it and what can stop it. Um, I think what that probably does is it probably lowers a lot of um, like your cortisol levels. So of, you know, of course now from being at high stress and confusion, now you're seeing a little bit more clearly, you're able to think a little bit more clearly. Now you're no longer Mm -hmm. thinking why you're just thinking what next, you know what I'm saying? What, What can I do to fix this? What can I do to move forward? Absolutely. And it's, it's kind of similar to what happens with PTSD. So when mm-hmm. you go through a traumatic event, whether it's something in war, something, um, uh, an uh, awful trauma, um, car wreck, even um, whatever trauma that's entered your life, when you go through that, your brain is trying to protect you. And so it hides some of those memories from you. So they're very, very sharp, but they're in a different place than regular memories. And they hide from you. And then they're triggered by certain smells or sights or mm-hmm. um, actions by others or music or, or somebody says something and it's triggered and it comes back in full force, right? And so what writing does is it accesses those things and it's a little scary at first, but you're writing about what happened and you're right. And you're starting to remember some of these details and, and it could be over days or weeks, but you're, you're starting to write these things down, your brain fog clears. And what happens is you then have power over those words. You have the power over it instead of it having the power over you. And those memories then move over actually into the regular part of your memory where they can fade just like every other memory does. And Mm. so that is the amazing thing is even though you're writing down some tough stuff, like I was, I was embarrassed and 
it was, it was just awful writing down some of these things that I, I feel like I let happen. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I pulled the wool over my own eyes. I'm like, why did in the world didn't I see this? Or you start to see, wait a minute. I've been kind of internally blaming myself, not really realizing it. But now, wait a minute, that really wasn't my fault. And you see so much cl- more clear um, your role, whether it was good or bad or, or indifferent. And then you can just move forward from there and, and it's not going to come back and haunt you. And so that's why writing is so, so amazing. With that being said, um, I do have a question kind of uh, going back to what you were talking about earlier, um, as far as like the relationship uh, struggles that people end up endearing. Um, Mm -hmm. What advice would you give somebody that is going through maybe a similar scenario where both partners are willing to change? so to say right so say that they both have some characteristics that trigger the other ones right so they may mm-hmm. both be empathetic they pro- they both care about each other but there's certain things that come up here and there that one person does to the other not noticing that it's causing all this pain and hurt and before until it's vocalized right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but they're, they're still going through those motions they're still going through those waves of we each are subliminally attacking each other without noticing it and it's creating on both sides not just necessarily one right because a lot of times whenever it's one-sided mm-hmm. that person kind of it's almost like a power thing right but whenever right. it's both sides what would you say would be your conflict of resolution well so so here's the thing if both people are willing to change then there's not a narcissistic or sociopathic relationship it's not emotional abuse mm-hmm. and so what you need to do is so t- typically us fixers right or are codependent and we have real trouble expressing our needs expressing mm-hmm. our want because we want more for the other person than they want for themselves. We want more for the other person than the, we want for us, right? We want to help them at the, to the detriment of us. So in my opinion, what you really need to do, if you're in a regular relationship, even just a regular tough relationship that's not narcissistic mm-hmm. or sociopathic or emotionally abusive, you stick up for yourself and you say, listen, here's what I want to do. Here's how I, you, um, my needs need to be met. And you stick up for yourself. You're not going to bring down your morals, bring down your values for anyone else. In other words, have boundaries and stick to them. Now, can you be a better person? Absolutely. You make, the be- you make yourself the best person you can possibly be. But that doesn't mean um, submitting yourself or downgrading yourself or downgrading your morals or your values for anyone else. So now if you can get to that point and you're saying, here's what I need. Um, here's what I would like to do, you know, for you, tell me what your needs are and let's do a, a, a go back and forth. If that person is willing, then that's great. You guys can work it out. But if that person starts being angry and saying, well, you don't love me and, and, and um, all kinds of things like that, that is a huge red flag. If they cannot, Uh, take you standing up for yourself 
big, big red flag. And you might mm-hmm. be in an emotionally abusive relationship. So there's, there's a couple of different things. If it's normal and you're standing up for yourself, you're having boundaries. Yeah, it's a tough give and take. But if you are not lowering your standards, lowering your morals, lowering your values, and maybe maybe that's the starting point is maybe starting writing those out. And, and here's, here's the reason why. Like my ex, over the 10 years that we were married, did a mm. lot of things that were not... Um, I don't, not legal, not moral, not ethical. And I, I, I couldn't do anything about it. When I started to say some things and he would just get angry. Why are you questioning me? And, and things like that. So I didn't have a voice. <laughs> and, and so my standards were eroded because of that. And so I don't advocate stealing from your work. You know, I don't, I don't like mm-hmm. that. If someone else is doing that and you're in a partnership with that, then you need to stop. You need to stop that because that's not right. You shouldn't yeah. have to lower your morals or standards for someone else. I think on that same note, kind of what you were saying earlier about having your boundaries, I think there is a – if there's somebody in this position where there hasn't been – an already established boundary line right a lot of times people get in relationships and kind of just go with the flow and say Mm -hmm. well i love this person and i chose this person so whatever comes along we'll be able to deal with it right and i think a lot of the times and it there's i think there's a lot of factors that can really play into it you know age experience um like as far as relationships you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i think a lot of those things can it can either evolve or devolve you know um say somebody that hasn't really had experience being intimate with another person being in a relationship and you start coming along all these red flags look you know i don't really even like this but i don't know how to express in my words without coming across as offensive that these are things that are upsetting me right right you know what i'm saying so i think that could be an issue as well but back on the topic of like if you know for sure you're dealing with these type of people, these type of characteristics, these narcissistic traits. Um, Where exactly do you think would be like, I guess the, the, the line, the boundary line would be based off of the person's own boundaries of what they're willing to put up with. Or is there like a significant thing, like regardless of who you are, that shouldn't be acceptable. Yeah, I, I think you should not be in a relationship where you are um, you're, you're a lesser party than the other person. If you're not mm-hmm. in an equal relationship, you need to get out. You need to put your boundaries up. And if, if your boundaries are not accepted, you need to get out of that relationship. It's not a healthy relationship. So why would you want to hurt yourself for the rest of your life just to stay with somebody who doesn't um, treat you as an equal, who doesn't accept your boundaries. You need to have your boundaries and, and you need to hold to them. Now, here's the other thing. If it is a narcissistic or um, sociopathic relationship, that person is involved in that sort or, or, you know, that's their personality. They cannot change. They like do the research. They do mm-hmm. not change. It's extremely, extremely, extremely rare, like 0.01% of these people. And so don't expect 
whatever you do, let's go to counseling. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let me, let me see what I can do to, you know, to fix this and help. You are being codependent. So I would say go to counseling for yourself and say, how can I be like my, my real true and authentic self? And if Mm -hmm. that other person is not accepting that, get out. That relationship is not worth hurting yourself psychologically over. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And you don't even see it. You don't realize it a lot of times until you, you know, friends and family see it though. A lot of times they do, Um, Mm. except for the sociopath narcissist typically really um, charm other people. So they don't see if, uh, if, if people would be in your living room and in your house, seeing how he treats you or she treats you and you would be embarrassed, then there's something wrong. Yeah. If there's somebody different to other people than they are to you in private, there's something wrong. I agree with you completely. I go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's just, it's tough to start realizing that. It's tough mm-hmm. to like, you know, for me, I thought it was like, I knew it was a tough relationship. At first I thought he was a quirky personality. He quit jobs every six months, couldn't keep a job. And it was always because his boss didn't do what he recommended or something like that crazy. Mm-hmm. And I was always lying for him. I was lying f- to my family, to my friends, or, well, it wasn't a good job or, well, this or or all kinds of things, I lied for that person. (laughs) And again, lowering my morals and my values. And so um, if that is happening, then you need to get out. You don't, you don't need that type of relationship. It's not a healthy relationship. It's not a real relationship. And there are real relationships out there. You just need to, to uh, actually don't, don't go, don't get any relationship for a while. But um, uh, what, I had something else I was going to say, another red flag. Um, gosh, it totally left me now. But I'll, I'll think of it later. But If you anyway, remember, you can always bring it back. Um, yeah. Something I wanted to talk about as well was the recovery process. So after dealing with everything that was dealt with, right, and you started going to these classes, um, what was it like after – for back of uh, lack of better terms when we were dismissed what was the recovery process like well then once you were you know you had the ropes in your hands you didn't have necessarily any instruction anymore you were having to keep yourself accountable to start feeling better um how was that like yeah so it's really hard at first so because when you're in a relationship like this often you have no control you have no decisions Um, And you ultimately learn not to make decisions because Mm -hmm. the other person is in control. So it's hard. Like when, when I first got out and I thought, okay, I'm just going to take myself to the movies. I could not figure out what movie I wanted to see. I'm like, I was by myself, which didn't bother me. I was happy Mm -hmm. by myself, but um, you know, I was like, okay, what movie should I see? I don't know. I don't care. I don't even, I, I don't. What, what food do I want to go eat? What do I, what do I want to make for dinner? Those mm-hmm. decisions had been so volatile before 
that I was in a quandary. I, could, I couldn't make decisions for myself. So that is a muscle that you have to start exercising for yourself. That's part of the recovery. Start small, like say, okay, am I going to go for a walk or am I going to go do jumping jacks today? Am mm-hmm. I going to um, walk down this block or walk down this block? Um, what movie do I want to go see? What, what food should I, should I um, make for tonight? And you start making choices and start having preferences because all your preferences were typically, are typically taken away or they were, they're buried so, so deep. And so start with that. And again, writing, writing and writing, writing every day. Like if you just write a page a day or 15 minutes, and I always call it, um, it's, it's called free write. And so when you wake up in the morning, just pick an incident that's happened or something like that and just start writing. Don't take your pen off the paper, just start writing whatever comes into your head. And it might be your grocery list, the bills you have to pay, um, how, what you have to do that day, et cetera. That's fine. Keep writing. And eventually you are going to get to those golden nuggets of insight that you have learned. And that's why, that's why it's like, I'm like, I'm the resilience expert as well, because you learn so much resilience. You learn the lessons you've already learned. Now you're going to implement those lessons. You've been through some hard stuff or you're in the middle of going through some hard stuff. Why not put that to use and bring those lessons to the forefront that you need to learn to make yourself better and better? Because there is so much joy on the other side of one of these relationships. So much joy. I am so much happier. I am actually an amazing person, better than I was even before this relationship because I've learned mm-hmm. a lot about myself. I've learned great lessons, <clears throat> excuse me, that I needed to learn. And um, I, I love myself. And it, for me, it started, and many of us, it starts with childhood. I, I yeah. had no voice and um, I took that into adulthood. It was I was like, you know, you need to stand in the corner and you're, you're, you know, you're just a child. You don't need to be heard. And I made an agreement with myself back when I was, you know, probably four or five, six years old, my voice shouldn't be heard. And so I didn't speak up. And that's what mm-hmm. I learned. I lo- only learned that through writing and digging into my past. So I call it helping, making your past help your future self become wiser and more resilient. And so writing is is amazing transformation it's cheap too i do recommend (laughs) a trauma-informed therapist if you've been through a tough relationship like this there's tough relationships and then there are emotionally abusive relationships if you've been in an emotionally abusive relationship then find a trauma-informed therapist not just any therapist they've got to understand emotional abuse other otherwise Mm -hmm. they don't they don't understand what you're going through I think it's pretty interesting. I do like the <clears throat> direction that you've headed as far as like with the writing, just mm-hmm. because whenever I first started this podcast, um, the first season, actually, I didn't have anybody on. I did a lot of um, just like, it's all monologue. They were all like 10, 20 minute episodes of me just talking. And what I would do is I would think and I would sit there and I would kind of write down the things that I wanted to talk about for that episode. The only reason that that didn't continue was just because I kind of ran out of things to say. And (laughs) I found that, yeah, I found that I brought a guest on 
somebody messaged me on Instagram. I was like, hey, I like your podcast. I'd like to come on. I do this, this, and that. And I was like, hey, you know what? We'll try it out. And that kind of progressed into what it is already. I found out that talking with other people, and this is what I was going to kind of add on to, you know, going through your sessions was I found that, and this is with everything. This is just a, a life perspective that I've had. Whenever I talk to other people about certain issues, so for instance, if I'm having issues in my relationship and I talk to my friend Frank, and he's like one of my best friends, I grew up with him, um, he will give me a perspective of things. Now, you know, you can always take it with a grain of salt, but he gives me a different train of thought that because I'm stuck in my head trying to resolve this issue, right? And I, my, my, now I'm stuck. I don't know what to do because I've done everything that my mind knows what to do. And so when I bring this conflict to another person, which I feel like therapy helps as well as, you know, your group sessions that you went to um, for writing, I think what happens is, is that extra perspective, that different mindset comes in and says, hey, well, what about this? And it's something that you most likely wouldn't have thought about mm-hmm. and right. didn't think about. You know what I'm saying? So. With writing down um, a lot of the, just free writing per se, um, something that I had brought up in the earlier podcast was uh, itinerary making Uh, Mm -hmm. because I was talking a lot about self-motivation and I guess this can apply to the same thing, you know, in the recovery process of an abusive relationship, not knowing what to do and not, you know, really understanding where you are with yourself just because you've been under like a leash for so long um, is that itinerary. I found out in my darkest moments, whenever I was really depressed, whenever I get really unmotivated is I make an itinerary of things that I have to do starting from as soon as the morning, you know what I mean? Like, so Mm -hmm. as soon as in the morning or before bed, I'll write down a full list of things I have to do before my obligations, whether it be like, you know, um, going to work you know what I'm right. saying like that kind of obligation that's something that I have to do regardless but I could easily sleep till 12 30 p.m and yeah. waste the whole half of the day <laughs> just because I wasn't feeling good you know what I mean so these itineraries right. definitely help me stay in place and a lot of the times yeah. yeah a lot of the times what I would do is I would give these this is almost why I started this podcast to be honest like why I kept mm-hmm. having guests on is I almost feel like I can't keep myself accountable for things if it doesn't involve somebody else. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? So like, for instance, this podcast, whenever I am on the podcast, whenever I have this schedule of people that need to, that I'm going to have as a guest, right? I don't want to... How do I put it? And you are cutting out. Say that one more time. Oh, you're cutting out. I'm sorry. Okay. Are you good now? Yeah, I'm good. Okay. You can hear me pretty well? Yes. Okay, cool. Um, So in a way of 
like I would set up a whole podcast list. I would have all these guests lined up to be on and I would start like really early in the morning for myself. So I would start it at like 8 a.m. So this tells me like, okay, now you have to do this podcast episode because the stranger that you don't know, you set up an appointment to talk with them. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Exactly. So that kind of got me, it gets me in the groove, especially like up and recently, like I had kind of, I had lost one of the jobs that I had and I got just, it got real down. Um, Me and my girlfriend are supposed to be moving soon. So it added some stress to some things. And and this is like our our first time moving together. So it's a pretty big event. Um, Mm -hmm. And so to get myself out of that funk of not doing anything, that's what I had to do is I went and that's why you're here now. You know what I'm saying? Right. I had to get myself up and it had to be something that I couldn't choose not to do. Of course I could Mm. choose not to, you know, have any guests and just say, Hey, I'm going to schedule them and just not show up. But then I wouldn't feel good about myself. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. There's some cognitive dissonance there. You know, the other thing you can do, that's great is have that accountability But the other thing you can do is have a greater purpose, which you do. You have that greater purpose because you are helping other people with this podcast. So when I teach people how to write about their their tough lives um, and through their tough stuff, because it is tough, Mm -hmm. I I tell them what would happen if, you know, there, there are people in the world that are just about to go through the same trauma you've been through. No kidding. There are people Mm -hmm. out there. There are people out there in the midst of the same trauma that you've been through. Honestly, it's, it's trauma is like, there's so many people out there in so many different ways. And what if your writing, you could help them give them a shortcut, right? That's what I'm doing. I, it took me years to figure this stuff out years and years. It took me over a decade to figure this out. And I want to give, people a shortcut through that trauma, through that tough stuff to, to get to that joy on the other side. And so everybody's got a story. Everybody has life lessons to learn. Everybody has, can become resilient and can become joyful on that other side if they would just write. And then when you're writing and ultimately it's, it's going to be ugly at first, that's okay. But when you're writing and you can share that with other people, you're going to give them a shortcut. And wouldn't you want to do that? And so those people are depending on you. Those people mm-hmm. are depending on you, to Darius, to do your podcast. Those people are depending on me to finish writing my story and all the people and teaching other people to write theirs. And ultimately, we're going to make the world a better place. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I agree. I think that having... I think a lot of people struggle and this could easily bleed into relationships is mm-hmm. finding that higher purpose. Cause I think a lot of people and I think a vast majority of people are stuck in the mindset of what do I want to do? Mm-hmm. Right. And it, it right. I think something that, that were that's something that I definitely went through for a very long period of my life. So like a little bit of a backstory, just to make it real short and brief. 
Um, as soon as I graduated out of school, I moved to California. I did some acting, tried to do some modeling because that's what I wanted to do. I tried mm -hmm. starting businesses because that's what I wanted to do. I tried starting a clothing line because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to start a book to write a book about um, self-motivation and the, the like crazy things that I've been through in my life and how I'm still doing all these crazy cool things because that's what I wanted to do. I never had other people's best interest in mind until I started having guests on this podcast. Right. Yeah. So yeah. The inst until I well, really even until I started the podcast, because I didn't. To me, this podcast was never something that I would I looked at like, oh, I want to I want to do a podcast. I want to be a famous speaker. I want people to hear my voice and take all the advice that I have to give and hear all these professionals that I have on my podcast and think of me as this person because I'm doing all these things because that's how I faced everything else. Everything else right. was based on other people's perception of me. Yes, they would think I was cool if I was an actor, if I was a model, if I was on TV, whatever. Um, until I started actually talking with people and hearing like, hey, someone sent me a DM on Instagram not too long ago. Hey, man, I listened to this episode with so-and-so. I um, just wanted to let you know that really helped me out because that was something that I was going with, going through. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. So like things like that. And that really it, it clicked something in my head like, OK, hold on. There is <clears throat> right now I have a guest list. You probably you got one of my emails formulated on um, it was like a campaign kind of like similar to how ads work uh, once you get all the emails. And it was just a mass email um, to make sure everybody schedules the appointments at their appropriate time that's convenient for them. Um, I have about about half the list on of these guest speakers are people that are like therapists that are doctors that are, you know what I mean? People that I feel could help better than because I'm just a guy, right? I'm mm -hmm. just a guy. I have a couple of loose screws. I can talk about almost anything. I have a pretty diverse palette of understanding, I guess you could say. Right. Um, so it's easy for me to keep conversation. And I just use that to let these other people, these professionals, these doctors talk about things that can help people, right? Because you and everybody else that's going to be on this podcast has a perspective of something that's like a piece of a puzzle that may help somebody else you know what I mean because mm -hmm. I don't know who right. listens to this podcast I don't know everybody yeah. I don't know if half the people in my hometown listen to it I based on the statistics people in other countries are listening to it. you know what I mean I think a lot of people forget to look for a higher purpose whenever they're doing things so with all everything that I've done in my podcast it's become about giving other people a voice you know what I mean it's not become mm -hmm. about me talking it's become about other people um, getting a voice and getting advice and being heard. And I think a lot of people, whenever they're dealing with whatever it is that they're dealing with, they look for purpose in life based off of their wants rather than looking out, trying to serve a higher purpose. You know what I mean? Trying to be a part of something that's bigger than themselves. And I think sometimes that can bleed into relationships. Right. Absolutely. And, and I think that plays right into some characteristics of codependency as well. So when you're in a codependent relationship, you are worried about how people perceive you. So I, that's, that's what happened to me. I was like embarrassed to speak out, embarrassed to speak up. And you're totally self-absorbed about how you are perceived in the world, right? What, what are people's opinions of you? And mm -hmm. that plays right into bringing you into codependency, which is not a good thing for you. 
And so it's, it's kind of a bad thing. It's really self-absorption. And when you really focus outwardly on other people and are not worried about how people perceive you, you're able to be more, number one, authentic, which means you're, you're more comfortable in your own skin. That is so amazing when you get to that point. And number two, you're going to be less susceptible to getting into other um, emotionally abusive relationships because you are your own person. Own, own what you are and who you are and show up in the world who you are and show up to help the world, right? And so when you focus outwards like that, that is amazing. And you can be more truly authentically you because you are not worried about doing things just because somebody else might be offended or just because somebody else might not like it. And, and then you're just always, you're operating, end up operating in your whole life for other people. And that's mm-hmm. not healthy. So I think another thing with that, to just to add on to relationships, I think maybe some people might have the perception that they have a partner um, that may have, you know, these type of characteristics or these this type of relationship with their partner but i don't think that that limits down to just like domestic relationships i think that can easily be relatable to family relationships and friendships Mm -hmm. and some people look at those very differently because oh well that person's my friend i've known them for 10 years or oh that's my mom that's my brother you know what i mean right right and you know what these these emotionally abusive people are often your family members and even your friends so you should take a, just take a, a really strong look at how you operate in the world. Do you operate differently with different people that are um, in any way making you uncomfortable or causing you to be not who you really are or lowering your standards? And if mm-hmm. they are, then you need to take a, take a strong look at that and see what you can do to, to start showing up as yourself. And if they can't accept you as yourself, they don't need you in your in their life. That's good. That's good. I think I like that. I like whenever people can be authentically themselves. Um, mm-hmm. I think it brings out a different type of whenever, like, because there's a lot of things you can be influenced by, right? Whether it be living with your parents and them always telling you what to do or borrowing money from people and them trying to make your decisions for you because they're giving you funds you know what I mean right um or right. even whether it be in a relationship when you <laughs> say uh somebody it, you're living with somebody and they're using that as a well this is my house I'll keep the lights on if I want you know what I mean mm-hmm. right. type of deal right. um I think it's really beautiful whenever somebody can authentically be themselves you know what I, just, I, I yeah I I never even got to that point until I was in my 40s and that's crazy is a lot of people don't it is crazy yeah i think there's a lot of people that live under the influence of and this is everybody even adults adults mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. i mean i'm 22 i don't know what kind of adult i am but a lot (laughs) of like older people that i talk to still are doing things that they started when they were under the impression oh well 
my dad wanted me to go to college. So, right. You know what I mean? And I'm I'm not saying I'm not dissing college at all. College is for some people and some people definitely need to go to college. Like I would hope that a brain surgeon goes to college. You know what I mean? Mm, I'm not saying that's just something (laughs) that you should just do online. There's, Um, there's, there's wisdom that people speak into you and then there's control. Yeah. If someone's trying to control you for their purposes or control you, just control you for control's purposes, then that's not healthy. That's not now listen to wisdom. Absolutely. But be controlled by somebody else or live your life for somebody else. No. no. Mm-hmm. And the earlier you learn it, the better off you're going to be. Sometimes you just have to have some hard knocks in order to, to figure that out. But I, I got to tell you this, I'm living my best life. I mean, Good. absolutely Good. love who I am, what I am, what I'm doing, um, my morals, my values, I'm living those out and, and the freedom, the freedom you have when you start living your authentic self is amazing. And actually writing helps you get to that freedom. I'm going to have to send your website and stuff to my mom because she's pretty much the exact, um, very descriptive. Like we almost can fit this profile Oh yeah. Perfectly. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, with all the relationships. It's strange. Yeah. It's strange how uh, narcissists, sociopaths actually follow the same playbook. I, I used to wonder, I'm like, what is, is there some playbook out there? Because it's like, when I would hear it described some exactly, exactly the same things. Mm-hmm. And um, so ha- yeah, have her go to emotional abuse summit.com. There are, there are 45 expert interviews on how do you, how do you recover after an abusive relationship? How do you make friends? It's very hard to make friends because that was the other thing I was going to tell you. They alienate you from your friends and family. Mm-hmm. So if, if your significant other is starting to alienate you from your friends, well, they don't really love you. They don't really have your best interests at heart. Why don't you just want to go out with me and not them or your family? Like, do we really have to go there again? And, you know, all yeah. of that sort of thing. If they are alienating you, that's a huge, huge, huge red flag don't let that happen i think that can also be um Mm -hmm. introvert type characteristic though i understand where you're coming from as far as like them telling you you can't go this place you know what i mean mm -hmm. Uh, well there is introversion absolutely but then there is control and so if if that person doesn't want to go and prevents you from going that's control if that person doesn't want to go and you're going and you feel comfortable because it's your family, then that's good. If they make okay, you feel guilty for going because it's your family, it's your friends, mm-hmm. you have the right to have family and friends and have connections with them and go visit them and do all kinds of things with them outside of your relationship. If you feel guilty for that, then there's that's a red flag. But yeah, go to have her go to emotionalabusesummit.com. But there's like, how do you go through court with an abuser? How do you, um, how do you make new friends? And yeah. because it is so, so hard often. And, and see, that's uh, yeah. something that she very like recently started doing. So a little bit of history is uh, we lived here um, and she had all three of her husbands here. Mm-hmm. Um, and the third one, they moved to Texas and like things just unraveled like a lot of the warnings that we had heard kind of just started coming into fruition 
Um, and it took her a while. Like I remember as a kid, she used to read so many books, like all the books you could think about, about having marriages, you know, getting through uh-huh. tough relationships, taking a religious perspective, um, uh-huh. everything that everything under the rainbow she read and she, I could go into um, her room and probably find all the old books with all the notes, all the highlights, all the bookmarks. And it wasn't until this last relationship that ended that she started doing things for herself because she was alone in a place where there wasn't other people. And yeah. she started like making all these friends. She, um, she, she was a cop here or sheriff and she mm-hmm. became a police officer um, there. And she started doing jujitsu. She started doing this military training camp. She's making all these friends. And it's just yeah. really crazy seeing like the transition of my mom from living and physically and emotionally, right? She was a little right. overweight. She wasn't the best mm-hmm. condition. She didn't take care of herself very often. Mm-hmm. She was always down. She always felt underappreciated. She was yeah. very, um, very victimized. You know I mean, and there's a lot right. of things that I can't really say on air that had happened to my mom that is, you, you'd understand, you know what I mean? Oh, it's just yeah. a lot of Absolutely. trauma and abuse mm-hmm. physically and emotionally. And mm-hmm. seeing her from that point to where she is now to where she's like, dude, I don't care. You know what I mean? Like, right. I'm doing exactly <laughs> what I want to do. There's nobody here. And keep in mind that she's about, I I don't think she's 50 yet. Uh-huh. Uh, she might be. I don't, I don't think, I think she's under 50. I don't really know my mom's age, to be honest. I just know her birthday. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's crazy um, to kind of add on the note that I said earlier that a lot of people don't really find themselves until later in life. A lot of people right. are on this rush to get to them, right? Like they, they want to yeah, be them. They have this. Vi- they feel like they have to have another person in their life. And yeah. that's that's a mistake. If you feel like you have to have somebody else to complete you, that's that's a mistake. So I'll tell you the, the rest of my story <clears throat> before we before we conclude this. My I was divorced then from mm-hmm. this sociopath. I was living life. I was happy. I was rebuilding myself. I was loving what I was doing. I was completely happy going off into old age all by myself. I was thrilled. I was just happy. I didn't need another person. Mm-hmm. And that's when the right person came into my life. And so I, I found somebody who loves me for me, who supports me and long-term, not just, you know, Hey, just to, just to move the, the uh, relationship along really quickly. Mm-hmm. In fact, I put him through all the psychological hoops, you know, to make sure he wasn't <laughs> crazy. He always tells yeah. that story. But you have to be happy with yourself. You have to be completely happy and and building yourself up and making friends and and living an amazing life for yourself before you can get into a healthy relationship. Otherwise, you're just going to continue being a target for narcissists and sociopaths and the other emotional abusers. I think a lot of it can come from societal um, expectations, you know, for Mm -hmm. my generation, we were raised by a group of a a group of society that did things a very traditional way. It was very linear. Um, You know, you find 
somebody to settle down with. You have kids, you have a job, you have degrees, and then that's it. That's life. You know what I mean? You can do whatever you want in between those, but that's the goal. Your goal is supposed to have a family. And I think in my generation, we fear like, oh, well, we have to be in a relationship. You know what I mean? And, and maybe even some right. people older than me, you know, we, we set up this societal construct that you're supposed to be married by this age and have kids by this exactly. age, you know what I mean? Retire yeah. by this age. So we're wired to think like, okay, well, I'm supposed to be looking for somebody. I'm mm-hmm. supposed to be in a relationship that because I need to be having kids soon. You know what I mean? I don't know right. how much longer my mom's going to be around and she needs to see grandkids. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, but the thing is, you know, you have to, you know, try out a lot of different relationships, right? You have to to know what's good and what's not good. And so if you get into a relationship and you're like this is it, I'm I'm it's it's the only re- relationship I've ever had and it's uh the best one and it's amazing. And if you see some of these other red flags, then that is you got to run. You got to run. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and I'm not saying don't ever have great relationship. Don't ever have a relationship and don't ever have a relationship when you're young. I am not saying that you can certainly have great relationships. Just, Just make watch sure the red flags and, and yeah. be happy with yourself first. You can have an early, you know, you can be young and have a great relationship, but you just have to be, be happy in your own skin so that you are not lowering your morals and values for somebody else. When you start doing that and you start seeing these other red flags, distancing you from your family and friends, um, uh, being everything you can ever imagine and then getting you to feel sorry for them. That's, those are run from that, (laughs) run from those type of relationships. And they're, and it's not going to be easy. They will pursue you. They will send flowers. They will send, they will like be the ultimate, you know, I love you and I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And, and you're the ideal person for me. And, and it makes you feel good. But if not, if it's not a great relationship, if it's not a good relationship, you're, that you're going to, you're going to be in a, for a lifetime of hurt. And so mm-hmm. I don't want that. I don't want that for, for folks. Nobody should. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. I had a really good talk with you. Sorry for the technical confusion we had earlier oh no worries um, no worries at all this was fun. go ahead and yeah it was it definitely was i really had a good time talking um go ahead and let everybody know where to find you what websites any social media you have and yes. uh, just kind of give yourself a nice little promotion there try to oh, get well, some people you. of course well uh you can catch me on instagram at stacy underscore brookman and that's s-t-a-c-y underscore brookman um, on Facebook, Stacy Brookman Media, but actually my YouTube channel—it's called YouTube—is on YouTube.com/slash/RealLifeResilience. If you want free resources, if you've ever been in a relationship like this or tough things, I put all kinds of little short videos on how to get out. What's the difference between sociopath and narcissist? Um, you know, what is emotional abuse? All kinds of things on my YouTube channel. So if you would subscribe and comment on, you know, tell me what videos you want to see in, in this arena, I would love to make them for you. So uh, that's it. And oh, emotionalabusesummit.com. And uh, that's, that's where you can find me. Absolutely. Awesome. Stacy. I appreciate you so much for coming on the show and sharing everything you've um, shared with me. It was a really good time talking to you. Uh, maybe we'll be back uh, sometime soon. Fabulous, Darius. I appreciate what you're doing in the world. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Have a good one, Stacey. Okay, bye-bye. 
Put your head on my shoulder.